Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hello, my name is Dwayne Carter from Plano, Texas. I'd like to talk about the ticker symbol NEXT, next, which is next decade. They just recently signed a 15 year contract. Could you uh, give me some guidance on this stock? Thank you very much. And provides unbiased answers. All right, looking at next decade, NEXT is the symbol. And this is an interesting one. What they are, they are they develop and manage uh, develop a management company, and they are focused on land-based and floating LNG product. If I'm going to bet on this in the LNG space, LNG export space, I'm just going to buy a company like Chenier that is actually earning a profit. Invest Talk, over 41 million downloads and counting across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. Eight eight eight. 99 charts. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday. May 12th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. And I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to spend this hour with you and uh, help, help guide you through this, uh, this difficult time in the markets. Uh, I'm getting a lot of calls, emails, and just from listeners, not even from clients. Clients aren't, aren't really having much, uh, much worry. Uh, it's, it's more from listeners asking about different asset classes. Uh, one person called up asking about, you know, saying I, I made a mistake. I bought Amazon and all these other uh, stocks recently, and you know they're down twenty percent, and they're freaking out twenty percent. If you can't handle twenty percent, you shouldn't be invested in the equity markets. Simple as that. That's why we do our risk questionnaire on our website because people struggle with a 20% loss, then their exposure to equity should be relatively low. Unfortunately, most people don't take that assessment. It's a very small percentage of our listeners. It should be a lot higher because it, when you're investing, you need to be able to handle the emotions. Talk about it a lot on the show. And nothing brings out emotions like a bear market in any asset class. And right now, there's a bear market in many asset classes, crypto, obviously, tech, the NASDAQ. Don't have one on the S&P quite yet. But can we get there? Sure. But for many of you, I know a lot of new listeners over the past few years, this is new to them. Even if you're investing before COVID and you felt the COVID crisis, it was pretty quick, pretty sudden. It was broad based, but it also bounced back 
quickly. Not happening now. And this is something that most people are, are struggling to deal with, most newer investors. And guess what? This is a more normal market environment. 10, 15% drops in the S&P in the first few months of the year, not uncommon at all. In a normal market environment. So when the Fed pulls away the punch bowl, you get this type of volatility. Now, did they make a mistake? Did they do QE too long? Probably, probably a year too long. Are they hiking rates too fast now, or at least promising to hike rates too fast now? Yes. But that's part of the market now. You have to deal with the policy mistakes of on the fiscal side as well as the monetary side. And sometimes those policy mistakes are in your favor. Either spending too much money from the government or too loose monetary uh, monetary policy from the Fed. And you had both of those in spades in the first 12, 18 months post-pandemic. And now they're trying to correct all that. And that's why you're seeing a lot of pain. And remember, liquidity covers up for a lot of ills that companies have. I saw so many people over the past couple of years just simply point to stock price. Stock price, stock price, bro. You're wrong. Stock price, bro. Stock's up. What you have to realize is that the current stock price is just what it's being traded at today. That's always interesting to me about Elon and his pay package with, uh, with Tesla. If you go look at it, there's nothing about earnings, cash flow. It's about market cap. So his incentive is to keep the market cap of the stock up. And that's why he got big pay packages. Stock price was up. And right now, what you're seeing is the reverse of that, is that stock price is up because speculators, because of easy money. And when the trend reverses, well, speculators tend to run for the hills. And easy money ebbs and flows. And so I hope this is a lesson to you that never get too high, never get too low. That was a great lesson that uh, Phil Jackson, I'm a big Laker fan, had Lakers season tickets for now 13 years, 14 years. His main lesson was always never too high, never too low. You ever see him on the sidelines? Walking the sidelines, coach, coaching Kobe and Shaq? He never really got that excited. Never really got that mad. Never too high, never too low. So in these times, never get too low. In the good times, never get too excited. When you're so thrilled with yourself, we sell. 
things are better than they should be, and vice versa. So that's my take on kind of what we've seen recently, not just the past couple of weeks, but the past couple of years. It's a unique market, and the market has changed, and you need to adjust accordingly. And that's why I'm here, is to help you through these challenging times. And I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So I'm here to present all of the topics that we discuss on the show without bias. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions right now during our live stream program, or you can leave a message after hours. If you're listening on the podcast later, no big deal. The number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now, which is James in New York looking at PayPal. Uh, yes, I'm looking at PayPal. I'm wondering um, at what levels do you see it being uh, good value for the long term? I know it's fallen tremendously, but does it have more to go? And at what point would it be of good value to pick up? Well, the big question is, can they reassert their uh, earnings momentum higher? Now, they were making $3 pre-pandemic in 2019, made $3.88, $2020, $4.60 last year. So earnings was to drop 14% this year, then, then go back up to an all-time high of 48, $4.88 next year. Question is, will that be sustainable? Will that actually happen? Or will you have a reversion to the mean pre-pandemic type of levels? Now, I don't think we will because there's a lot of permanent changes in the habits of consumers when it comes to mobile payments, online payments, etc. And so I do think it's a, it's a higher plateau than we were at $3 per share pre-pandemic. So what is $4 worth? Is it 19 times earnings? That's where, kind of where you're trading at now. I think that's reasonable. So is it cheap now? I would say, yes. Is it a screaming buy? I know you probably most people say it was down 76%. It's PayPal. It should be a screaming buy. I would say that it is a good value. Is it a great value? Probably not yet. Probably that's going to be high 50s. That would be a great value. Uh, right now, it's pretty good at these levels. Thanks for the call. Now, we're moving into a break, but I'm here and happy to take your finance and investment questions on Invest Talk at 888 chart Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 
Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point today is based on a story behind this question. Is the inflation glass half empty or half full? I think this is important because inflation is top of mind for most people in the country, in the world, and especially those involved in the markets because it has a huge impact on businesses as well as policy, both on the federal spending level and the Fed monetary policy level. And so you can think of inflation positively and negatively. I'm going to give you both sides of it because most people are on one side or the other. A lot of it has to do with political uh, biases, uh, unfortunately. But I'm going to give you the pros and cons of what we're seeing from the inflation front and what that might mean going forward. And then also junk bonds. You're starting to see some contagion. And that's a that's that's a word we haven't really used for a long period of time. Is they're starting to be contagion is people have margin calls. They need to sell assets. They need something to get them on the right side of the ledger. And oftentimes that is selling assets that still have decent value. And that started to spread into the junk bond market. So I want to go over that. And that's usually where the the Fed starts to balk is when the bond market starts to seize up. That happened back in, I think it was uh, 2018, when there were no bond issuance uh, for a little while as the Fed was high, uh, was uh, tightening policy. And Jerome Powell, they call him P.E. Powell, private equity. He used to work in private equity. Well, private equity uses a lot of corporate debt. And so he's keenly aware of that market. And so we're going to look at that. Next, I want to touch on Janet Yellen and her remarks in regards to stable coins and the issue with, uh, wasn't Terra, not Tether, I was confusing, Terra USD that happened over the past uh, 48 hours or so. And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to talk about financial advisors. Now, let's look at the market today. It was a very pretty pretty volatile day. The VIX closed down a little bit, uh, but the market, the S&P, that was only down five points. So it was a pretty modest down day. You had pretty good volume. Uh, the highest volume we've seen since the low, uh, I guess it wasn't a low, it was a, a surge higher on March 18th. And we had pretty healthy volume today and closed near the, near the highs of the day. Now, it wasn't anything that was convincing that we've seen the near-term lows. Uh, but it was the first sign that we're getting a little bit of support here. The NASDAQ closed near the highs, definitely the highs of the afternoon and closer to the highs of the day. It actually closed positive. 6.7 points, and that's where most of the, the selling had been concentrated. Uh, and and so uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens uh, there, and I do think we're in for a near-term bounce. How high does that get? We shall see, but uh, I do think we're going to get a little bit of a relief rally, short, short-term. 
the you saw short-term uh, rates start to come down just a bit, a little bit of indicator that the Fed is going to pivot. The 10-year, that came down 10 basis points. So uh, down now below on the 10-year, below 3%. We were up above 3% for uh, three, four, four days, three, four days uh, or so. And now we're back below that 2.82 at the close today. Now we're moving into a break and I'm ready to ready for your questions right now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Go to a live caller, Dave in Ohio, looking at CM, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I've been slowly buying into it. I called, uh, I talked to Steve a couple weeks ago and got his thoughts, and he said he'd be a buyer at about 115, and it closed today at uh, 103.69. And just your thoughts on it, and um, I'll think about buying some more. Well, it's definitely at some support here. Uh, you know, the biggest issue with with this is that it is Canadian, uh, and the Canadian housing market is extremely overvalued, and I think it's going to be even more uh, more susceptible to higher interest rates. And that's what probably worries me the most uh, about the Canadian economy in general. Now, this is the fifth largest bank, and it uh, mainly focuses, though, on the business side, which is which is good, wealth management, capital markets, but still, it's going to be exposed to that Canadian real estate market. Uh, there's a lot of Chinese money that's been invested in there, et cetera. Uh, so that's what worries me uh, the most from a credit standpoint. But, uh, you know, value-wise, it, it is relatively cheap. Um, you know, decent yield, like you said, 4.7%. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's that support. I'll say that it's not the type of bank that I would invest in, frankly, uh, just because I don't love the Canada exposure. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 And my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Is the inflation glass half empty or half full? And this is something that has now become very political, right? blaming certain factions uh, on where inflation is coming in at. Uh, you have the CPI coming at 8.3% on an annualized basis. Now, that was a deceleration uh, month over month, but uh, an acceleration uh, year over year. And, sorry, it was a slight tick down year over year from 8.5% in March. And the Dow Jones, average Dow Jones estimate was 8.1. And then you had inflation as PPI come in today, and that was uh, also an acceleration. Uh, But core was the biggest worry, I think. Uh, That increased 0.6% in April. That was up from uh, March's 0.3%. So month over month, that one actually accelerated. Uh, And that's something the Fed looks at probably more, is the core 
uh, stripping out food and energy, which can be volatile. And you would think right now, well, if you strip out food and energy because those prices are going up, that it would help the situation, the numbers, it really didn't. And the big question for investors is, is, is this creating a stagflationary environment or going into a slowing economy or maybe a recession and still elevated inflation? And that's the worst, worst uh, backdrop for investors. Shelter costs rose at 5.1% annual rate in April. That's the fastest gain since 1991. And that accounts for 40% of the CPI index. And there's a lag effect with those higher housing prices that we've seen over the past year. Usually takes longer for rents to go up. Why? Because people are on leases and it take just because the value of the home went up and rents around it went up doesn't mean you can raise the rent in the midst of a lease. And so landlords have to wait until that lease is up. And so that's why it's typically a lagged effect and has a big impact. Remember, CPI uses owner's equivalent rent. And basically what they do is they ask homeowners what they think their home would rent for. Now, a lot of them know because they rent it out, rent out homes that they own. Uh, and so that's where that kind of comes from. So the glass half empty is stagflationary environment. The glass half full is that Inflation has peaked and we've seen the worst of it and that policymakers aren't going to focus as much on that headline number, but more the direction of the change. And I think in some ways that's true and longer term inflation expectations remain very low. So while short term inflation is relatively high, longer term inflation expectations have stayed relatively muted. Now, most economists think inflation this year will moderate to about three and a half, four percent by year end. And that should shift the Fed policy, especially if they see things start to break, like bond market, stock market, and CPI maybe peaking and starting to moderate as the year gradually goes by. They might take some of those rate hikes off the table. And that's what a lot of people are, are, are thinking is, oh, the, when's the Fed going to pivot to back to QE? They're not going to pivot back to QE. What they've done with forward guidance is that they've put built-in expectation of rate hikes throughout the year. And now what they've, and I think this is kind of smart in a way, they've been able to get to a point where I think if they just take a few of those rate hikes off the table, saying we're not going to raise 50 basis points next meeting and the meeting after, maybe it's only going to be 25. That itself will give a relief rally. It will loosen financial conditions that have tightened so dramatically. And that's the way I see it. I think in some ways, what we're seeing right now on the inflation front actually is encouraging. I think you're seeing moderation. What's more concerning is what's happening in the broader economy and the weakening there. Now, I'm Dustin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, 
It's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hello, my name is Dwayne Carter from Plano, Texas. I'd like to talk about the ticker symbol. N-E-X-T, next, which is next decade. They just recently signed a 15-year contract, and they're up today when the stock market was down 1,000. Could you uh, give me some guidance on this stock? Thank you very much. Bye. All right, looking at next decade, N-E-X-T is the symbol, and this is an interesting one. What they are, they are they develop and manage, uh, develop a management company, and they are focused on land-based and floating LNG product pr- projects, excuse me, liquidified natural gas, which is what we're trying to ramp up and, and export to uh, Europe in a big way right now. But there's just simply not enough capacity here in the US. Now, if you look at LNG, the ticker symbol, which is uh, Chenera, Chenier? Yeah, Chenier Energy, uh, they've been working on this for a long period of time, and they were losing money for many, many years until they've ramped up production. Now, in 2021, they lost $9 per share, and now supposed to make $14 this year. Stock is doing very, very well, and they're starting to produce profit uh, after years of investments. And these are big investments to build an LNG project. It takes a long time, five years minimum. Now, I don't know where next decade is in the development cycle. Are they going to come on next year or the year after? It doesn't look like it's going to be next year because earnings expectations for next year are still going to be losing $1.38, which would be a record. Now, maybe that means they're getting closer to uh, you know the end and, and spending a lot to, to get their project finished. Uh, but what worries me the most about this is not only is it speculative, just simply that you know what, what are conditions going to be like? when their project is finished. Right now, it's a very lucrative time to be an LNG exporter. Will it be 
that lucrative that two, three, four years from now, whenever their project's done. And as we continue to export more and more energy to the rest of the world, especially natural gas, our natural gas prices are going up here domestically, which feeds into our economy, higher costs, higher costs for electricity, uh, more expensive for our industrial sector to operate, etc. At what point does that become politically unpalatable? Sure, we want to help Europe deal with the their energy crisis and our country and our companies make a lot of money from that. But it also pushes up prices domestically. And I, I think at a certain point that becomes an issue. And do we ban or limit exports of natural gas? I think eventually we get there. And what will next be... Or what will the, the climate be when next finishes their project? And so that's why I wouldn't invest in it. It's going to be very volatile in the near term. I think it'll go, it'll probably be bullish as long as natural gas prices that spread between our domestic price and European price continues. But if I'm going to bet on this in the LNG space, LNG export space, I'm just going to buy a company like Chenier that is actually export today, earning a profit. So I would pass on this one. Now let's pivot to an iTunes review question. Commodity Supercycle says, curious your thoughts on RYCEY as a deep value play currently trading sub $1 and at what price would you consider buying it? Now, the first thing I would say is just because it's trading at $1 does not mean that it is a value play. The first lesson every, every investor should learn is what the stock is trading at price-wise is irrelevant. It's what that price is compared to number of shares outstanding, earnings per share, cash flow, et cetera. So the, right now this is trading at, let's see, close today, up two cents to a dollar. It's trading at a dollar. Still a mid-cap stock. Its market cap is 8.3 billion. Now, the problem with Rolls-Royce, this is Rolls-Royce, is that they make jet engines. Well, what's happening with air travel? It's down. Yes, leisure travel is up. But business travel is way down, and it's probably permanently impaired. And their business is kind of struggling. Shares outstanding now at 83 Billion shares? Yeah, 8.3 billion shares. That's why it's trading at a dollar because there's so many shares outstanding. 2020, it was only less than 6 billion. So increasing the shares outstanding, negative free cash flow, good amount of debt. So that worries me. The chart looks very bad. Is it a deep value play? Not because of the price. It's trading a dollar. That doesn't mean it's a deep value play. Is it on the cheaper side? If you're looking at historical price to sales ratio, for example, trading at 0.5 price to sales, it's pretty low. Lowest in a decade. But its business prospects are also probably the lowest in the decade in a decade. So it probably should be. So it doesn't get me excited. And once again, lesson to all of you. 
this is this is a this is a great saying that uh, sums it up very easily. There are more stocks that are cheap trading for over a hundred dollars per share than there are stocks that are cheap trading for under five dollars per share. Let's say again. There are more stocks that are cheap that are trading over $100 per share than there are stocks that are cheap that are trading for under $5 per share. Remember that. Never, ever, ever look at a stock price in and of itself and say that is cheap. It's irrelevant. Berkshire B or Berkshire A, excuse me, it's been trading at hundreds of thousands of dollars per share for a long period of time. And it's been cheap for a lot of that time. Right now it's trading at, let's see, $461,000 per share. Berkshire Hathaway A. And if you said, well, it's too expensive. Back in 2000 when it was trading at $48 per share. Sorry, $48,000 per share. He said, it's $48,000. Well, guess what? It's 10 times that number today. Take that. I would. Now let's touch on the bond market, the high yield bond market. This is always the area that uh, speaks louder than the equity markets. A lot of people focus on the equity markets. But when it comes to the financial system, and especially the Fed balking or not, it's when there are problems within this market that they tend to wake up and start to think about shifting their policy. Now, the average U.S. high-yield bond fell to around 91 cents on the dollar Monday, the lowest level since May of 2020, so during the COVID shutdown. And it's making it a lot harder for companies to raise money to and more expensive for them to raise money for capital investments, acquisitions, refinancing, etc. And that hits the bottom line. And it increases the likelihood of defaults and bankruptcies. Now, high yield bonds have lost about 10% this year. So definitely less than the broader market. But still, a lot of them are down. Their yields went from 4.3 the start of the year to 7.5 on average. And the spread above treasury yields has gone from 2.8 in January to 4.4. Now, it's still well below where we were around 11% in the March of 2020 during right at the COVID shutdown. And still well below 08 financial crisis. But that's the highest level we've seen in a while, really since, since March of 2020. And then you also have some operational headwinds in certain sectors because of inflation, lack of labor, and then downward trajectory of sentiment. Think of Carvana, for example, whose stock has gone from, let's see, a high of $375 per share back in August. Now it's at $37 per share, so it's down 90%. They had trouble issuing debt, $3.3 billion, until Apollo Management came in and bought about half of it. So they were able to place it, but 
uh, it was it was very difficult. And many companies are just pulling out of issuing altogether because they think it's too expensive. And investors have pulled about $23 billion out of mutual funds and ETFs since the start of February from in the high yield space. On top of that, what's happening is investors, including ourselves for our clients, we're looking at investment grade bonds more so because those yields have picked up as well. The average investment grade bond has risen from 3.6 uh, risen to 3.6% yield uh, from 1.8% at the beginning of the year. And the average dollar price of those have fallen to 93 cents on the dollar. Now the spread above treasuries is still only about half a percent. So it's not great, but that's up from 0.35% at the beginning of the year. And so when you're looking to target yield, and yields in general just going up, well, now it's easier to get the yields that you want without taking as much risk. And so that's another reason why money is not being allocated to bonds or to, 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 to high yield bonds. And you're starting to see that market seize up a little bit. And once again, Jerome Powell is private equity Powell, PE Powell. And he pay attention, pays, pays attention to these things. And I think there's another piece of news that came out today that could potentially allow the Fed to start to pivot a bit. And I think that is the confirmation. He was confirmed. Up until now, I think his hands were kind of tied saying, I, I know I'm here to fight inflation. That's my job, X, Y, and Z. To show Congress that he means business and he knows what he's doing. Because both sides of the aisle are worried about inflation. Now that he's confirmed, I think he can take his foot off the tightening gas a little bit, and it, it gives him more of a more of an all clear. But that could just be conjecture for me. But that's what I believe. Now we're over a third of the way through the year, and we've had we've had quite the year. A lot of volatility, and as I said at the top of the show, many people are getting. Emotional, panicking, not dealing well with their losses, either because their portfolio was ill-positioned or just simply they are feeling the contagion effects that are natural in times of volatility. Either way, if you're one of those who are struggling in these times, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KAPP Financial, where we offer free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. You can send us a message to investtalk.com or give us a call at 800-557-5461, and we'll set up something short period of time. It can be five minutes. It could be 50 minutes. Whatever it takes to get an assessment of where you're at and see how we can improve your results. We'd love to help you in any way. Now, next up, we'll pivot to the InvestStock Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. So hang on. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call InvestTalk. 
888-99-CHART. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Eddie out of Montana. The stock I was looking at is Oxford Square Capital Court, ticker OXSQ. Looking to put this into my Roth IRA for a long-term hold, mainly off the dividends being uh, just under 11% and it having a monthly payout. Chart's been trading a, a little bit sideways for the past few months. And I feel that with the, the retail space somewhat coming back versus the online sector, that their holdings is, would at least hold nice at these levels. Curious on your thoughts and appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. Looking at Oxford Square Capital. Let's see what they do. This is a closed-in, non-diversified management investment company. And its primary focus is current income investing in corporate debt securities. So this is basically a bond fund, mainly focused in finance, telecommunication, business services, healthcare, diversified insurance, logistics, and others. So one thing I like is it's not focused on tech, and there are some of these that are focused heavily in the, the tech space. So that's a positive. But at the end of the day, you are still investing in tougher credits. And yes, it pays out monthly, but can it afford that that payment is the big question. And historically, it's had up and down when it comes to its dividend payments. Remember, dividends are not sacrosanct. They can be cut. They paid $1.16 in 2016. They cut it in half in 2017 to a dollar, not half, but dramatically to, point, to 80 cents in 2017, then to 58 cents in 2020. Then to 42 cents in 2021. So I'm passing on this on electric trends. We're pivoting into our last break, so give me a call at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve. Randy from Ohio. I have a question. So I'm changing company. I have a, a pension plan with my existing employer, but I'm moving to a new employer. They don't have a pension, but I wanted to know, is there any option I can roll over my pension amount that I have with the previous employer uh, to a Roth 401k, even though my income limit is a little bit higher than the Roth eligibility, like above 210, something like that. So I'm still applicable or eligible to do this transfer without any tax implications uh, would love your advice on this and i love your show thank you so much bye-bye now so yes you should be able to roll that into an ira or a roth ira now the roth ira would remember that if you did that it would be income to you um there's no income limits to that now you're probably in a relatively high tax bracket you say you make around two hundred ten thousand dollars. so the question is do you want to lock in that higher tax rate Probably not something you want to discuss with your your accountant, but maybe you're going to be in a higher rate in the future and you're on the path to making a lot more. I don't know. Uh, now, you could also 
just roll into an IRA and do Roth conversions over time. You don't have to do it all in one fail swoop. Easiest thing, take the cash out, put it in an IRA, no tax consequences for that. And then you can deal with the Roth conversion question at a later date. Typically, the best time to do Roth conversions is the time between retirement and taking your RMDs. So retire at 65, RMDs at 72, 73. So over those seven, eight years, you do Roth conversions, and then you're doing it at a very low tax rate. That's typically the best time to do those Roth conversions. Uh, but once again, this is a plan that you have to make, you have to, you have to create with your, with your accountant. Uh, and, uh, but great, great question. I know a lot of you deal with that. You have old, uh, pensions, old TSPs, old 403Bs, old 401Ks, etc. If you need help with that, send me a message, set up a call with me. We can talk about your options and what the best path forward would be. Now let's pivot to stable coins and the, the problems with Terra, USD, and the, the collapse basically over the past few days has reignited a call by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen to come up with some federal regulation, federal framework. And that's what she said in front of the Senate Banking Committee. She said, quote, I think that simply that she said, excuse me, let me start over. Quote, I think that simply illustrates that this is a rapidly growing product and that there are risks to financial stability. We really need a consistent federal framework, end quote. And Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey asked, do you think we should shoot for a goal of getting legislation done this year? And she said, quote, I think that would be highly appropriate, end quote. So it's going to come down the pipe, I think, rather quickly. This is going to... Uh, I think it'd be a goal of Congress, especially after this blowing up. You have Tether uh, also having kind of a conniption fit, shall we call it? And there's just increasing risk here. And it just shows that whether it's your traditional stablecoin or an algorithmic stablecoin like Terra, which is supposed to, uh, you know, the critics of that model say that it can make riskier bets, but traders might not always respond the way that their algorithms, the, the algorithm, right? Algorithmic stable coin, the uh, way the algorithm is expecting. And that's one of the reasons why Terra failed. And that's really any algorithm. Anybody that relies 100% on an algorithm knows that it fails. It's only as good as it is its assumptions. And so there's clearly going to be regulation around those type of stable coins. And then with Tether, still haven't disclosed whether they're actually truly backed by the amount of assets that they say they are. They won't, they won't uh, produce an audit. So it's pretty clear there that there's major issues. So that's kind of what uh, you're dealing with. And I think you're going to see more and more regulation quickly come down the pipe as the crypto space implodes. I'm Justin Klein, and this includes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And if you leave your question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 